Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Danny Cola, and I'm excited to bring you this next episode because it features my good friend Alexis Robertson. And anytime I cross paths with Alexis, we always talk optimization. We always talk consciousness and how our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual optimization relates to how reality works. It's always a fun conversation. So I hope you enjoy. It's always good to have friends in your circle that make you better and vice versa, right? Create an environment that is suitable for your optimization and just have a good loving friendship with people and, you know, more people will morph into your environment of that sort. And it just makes life more fun. So without further ado, here's the podcast with my girl, Alexis Robertson. Check her out on Instagram at Alexis Robertson. Enjoy. What's up, Alexis Robertson? Happy Tuesday. Cheers. Happy Tuesday. Drink your oh, water. It's Wednesday, sorry. Oh, shit. You're right. Wednesday. But then again, in the eternal now, every day is every day. And it's just it's one- the present. We're in the eternal present. <laughs> it's one big clump of now. That's a conversation <laughs> that I had with a lot of my students when it was Monday. It's like, yeah. oh, it's Monday. Why do we have to do this? You're like, no, you're in the now, man. You're, no, dude, you're like in one eternal state of being present. What is that? Like, you say that to a high school kid, and they're like, what the That's fuck right. are you on? They're like, be here now. Be here now. It's not Monday. It's now. Yeah. It's my so what, what's your what's your go-to morning routine? Oh, it's funny. You should ask. This has been a topic for me recently. Um, Beautiful. Let's riff. Yeah, I actually posted this on LinkedIn recently and I got a lot of feedback and I've had almost like 80,000 views of my post. But yes. um, I, if I, I set my alarm for 4.50. I usually don't need the alarm because I go to bed pretty early, but um, I'll get up. I will get, I'll put my clothes on for Pilates. I will then meditate for 20 minutes. I will then go to a 5.30 Pilates class, home a little after 6.30 um, oh, and to get really like detailed, as soon as I get home, I drink a glass of water. I don't do that before Pilates because, you know, <laughs> I want to be able to stay in the Pilates class the whole time. But get my, yeah, get hydration in the water. I put apple cider vinegar and a little bit of Himalayan salt. Um, then I usually turn to making breakfast for myself, for, for, the, for my kids. Um, then I, if I'm going to work from downtown, I will get ready after that. And I'm usually out the door around 7.50. So I end up having between 4.50 and 7.50, which is like this three-hour window of what it takes me to get ready. But then about the first 90 minutes, it's all about me. That's great. That's great. A lot of people, they throw that out the window. They sleep a little bit later. And then, you know, yeah. they just get rushed into their day. And it's before they know it, it's just this ongoing thing every day after day after day. Yeah, after. No following this weird, I guess, journey that's not anything to do with them. It's just, you know, something external. Yeah. Well, and I, if it, de depending on what else to get even weirder, I have a rebounder. And so sometimes I'll jump on the rebounder for like five to seven minutes, particularly if I know I'm like a, a mini trampoline, you know, kids have trampolines, adults have rebounders. I like that. Can, so you have one in your house? You didn't know. Yeah. It's just like a little, I was like 40 bucks on Amazon. It's like this big. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I mentioned how I'm pretty, I, I really like Sean Stevenson and he yeah. introduced me to that. And then I have since heard Kyle Kingsbury and Aubrey Marcus talk about it, but it just gets you moving and gets your lymphatic fluids moving, particularly like if it. you're going to be sedentary for a lot of the day. So I used to be better about that, but I'll occasionally throw that in. And then, cause I'm just an odd person. <laughs> I've oh, been yeah. working, working on my handstand for a while. So yeah. if I'm good. Your, your handstand is super solid. Yeah, it's not. But if I'm good, a headstand, I can do pretty well. But um, I'll practice that a bit. And then since knowing you, I might take a few minutes, move the steel mace around. Just yeah. a little, little side to side action, probably for about two minutes. But I like to do something physical in the morning. Good for you. That sounds like a lot of good stuff in the morning. That's a, People should take notes for that. What time do you have to go to bed to get all that done consistently? I try to go to bed around nine. And I would say this has been my normal for the past year to 18 months. I'm not sure exactly, but I was t definitely somebody who would like, I don't know, you get home from work, eat dinner, get kids to bed. And then from like eight, 8.30 to closer to 10 or 10.30, I would just watch TV. 
mm-hmm. like of you know whatever i used to watch all the things i don't i don't do that so much anymore if i do it's for a short period of time um and i don't say that because it's like oh i'm too good for tv no i fucking love tv it's great but i realized for me and what i wanted like i was better off shifting that time to the morning when it was useful because i would get like too tired to even go to bed and then you're just sitting there and you're like i should go to bed and, like i don't want to brush my teeth like so I'll just keep sitting here watching TV. Uh, and then I also, because I basically sit all day, much like much like this, which is why yeah. I even have a headset because I'm just on the phone all day. Um, I would work on my handstand and do just other bendy yoga-ish sort of things while watching TV because it means I'm still in the same room as my husband to actually see him before I go to you go to bed super early. Also but, relationship yeah. goals, hashtag yeah. relationship goals. Yeah, but if I like went and read a book, like that's, I'm just not even there at all. So, yeah, but usually 9, 9.30, definitely before 10. Yeah, I'm with you on that, especially because I, I wake up super early too. Some days it's a little different. You know, if you're in the unknown, yeah. it's just like, fuck it, I'll wake up when, I, the flow. when I wake up, you know? Yeah, well, this morning, I have no class in the morning, so I didn't get out of bed until closer to 6, but I was also up later because I had an event that I went to last night. But yeah, this is, this is good because this is when our routine gets thrown off and it's not always consistent. And, you know, I think these are the things that we should probably talk about when people are trying to figure out a consistent routine that will help them optimize, so to speak. Right. So you're bed early, you're getting to, you're doing that regularly and you're waking up around the same time. You're getting your circadian rhythm into like this. Yeah. Yes. And the circadian rhythm is so important because most people, now some people will violently disagree with me but most people actually get tired around say between 9 and 10 30 like you feel that like oh i'm tired but a lot of people push through it mm-hmm. and it's like their body gets that second wind and so f- what i've learned about sleep and how your body works and your biorhythms there's a lot of cleanup your body's supposed to do at night oh. right so it'll be like i don't know 11 p.m if you were sleeping i will cleanse the liver or i will whatever like there's just the body is a self-cleaning thing, but it won't do that cleaning if you're still awake. It'll shunt that energy to, you know, you sitting and watching TV. And it's, I mean, it's fine, but if you do that for like 40, 50 years, and then you kind of wonder why people who don't sleep look run down, mm-hmm. it's because their body hasn't had the time. It makes sense, man. It makes sense. But nobody 40, 50 years into it will ever look inward and be like, yeah, it's probably all my fault. No one, no one likes to I say know, that's not how we work. Mm-mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. And I don't like to say it either. Cause it just makes, you know, it seems, but on the other hand, yeah, there's, there's autonomy, there's personal responsibility there. Um, yeah. Agency. So Stephen Gundry, um, great, I don't know, doctor who talks a lot about longevity. He talks about, this is why you should stop eating at least once a week, try to stop eating by five to give your body that time because it also if you eat late your body's all the energy it would be using to do all the other stuff it's moved towards digesting yeah so and it's not like most of us because of our lives can't be done eating every day at five but right. try it once a week and he calls it like your your brain cleaning night yeah <laughs> so like let your body cleanse itself no i have experience with i mean i do regular intermittent fasting and there are mm-hmm. some days where i do an 18 hour fast a 20 hour fast and i feel so fucking amazing on those days you say that to somebody and they're like first the first thought is oh no way yeah but you you know why because they're they're eating they're probably eating poorly and they eat a bunch of fast carbs so they're starving all the time like they eat something you eat pizza and then like an hour later you're starving so for someone to be like i'm not going to eat for a day you're like whatever fuck you like i'm hungry now right and we're also conditioned to think that we constantly need food this whole like eating six meals a day BS. Like we don't need to eat all the time. We're not really programmed or like we're not built for a ton of food. And then when we have those fast digesting carbs, it just makes us tricks us into thinking that we're still hungry when in all reality we're not, we have plenty of energy to tap into. Yeah. All your signaling's off. Your signaling's completely off because you're just burning fast carbs. You never burn stored fat. And, but and it's this weird phenomenon for some people where they are eating all the time, but they're nutritionally deficient. They're actually starving. Yeah, and for that's sure. Why that's why they eat so much because their body's like, you're not giving me what I need, so eat more. Maybe if you keep eating, you'll, I'll get some nutrients, and, but the nutrients never come. The fact, the fact that our body and our mind, we've, we've evolved to do what's best, you know, we don't think about it that way. We just kind of go with 
whatever the TV is telling us, the radio is telling us and whatever people are trying to sell books are telling us yeah. and like, we're just a self cleaning machine. We will figure out ways to advance and evolve. And we really don't have to abide by all these old school rules. So um, before you go to Pilates, you don't like drinking water. Why is that? I might drink a little, but I, I seriously just like in one sitting guzzle much like you kind of did but like the whole glass like I'll get home I'll drink the entire glass because I don't actually like drinking that much apparently my husband makes fun of me I would I'll like sip a glass all day mm. so I force myself to drink all of it which means it just kind of like it goes like your body processes water pretty fast and mm. I just I can't be on a reformer needing to run out because <laughs> my, my 16 to 20 ounces is like ready to leave now I feel you. I have this problem because like I'm conditioned to go with the coffee like right away. And oh, don't do that. Yeah, I know. But like we wake up. I was talking to John about this, the manimal. And he's like, listen, man, I'm waking up at 4 a.m. Just give me, let yeah, me have my take my coffee. coffee. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> let me have my fucking coffee, please. Dude, I, that was so funny. And I, I'm conditioned that way too because I've been waking up at 5 a.m. since I was like 18 training clients. And yeah, yeah like I want my espresso i love making espresso or whatever french press whatever i'm in the mood for but lately it's been espresso and it's not that much coffee it's like that you know a cup a cup like this full and um i don't know i i so what i what i force myself to do is drink a whole glass of water before i drink the coffee so then i you're feel fine. a little bit better about myself then you're fine that's what aubrey marcus says in his book own the day on your life he has a nice section where he's like don't put coffee in first just drink yeah. some water and then drink your coffee and he yeah. has a great way of describing why but just just drink some water yeah and i'm with you on that like that's that's pr that's where i got the information obviously and just from knowing you too it's like and then reading aubrey's book the salt a little lemon some yeah. a glass full of water, take that down, hydrate, lubricate the organs, the cells, everything yes. that's going on. Well, and to get really nerdy, because if I'm going to nerd out, this is probably it, a place to do it. Um, you know, humans, it's said that we're 70% water, right? So mm -hmm. you need to replenish that. But actually, as you age, you retain less of that water. So kids are actually more water than the elderly. And you can look at them and be like, of course, like, of course baby. why do you have all this energy? Yeah, but your body actually loses its ability to absorb water and I guess to get it into the cellular membrane. So, I mean, just like, just drink up. I and mean, the like denying yourself water certainly is not going to help your ability to hydrate as you get older. Mm -hmm. So I just figure that's another reason. Like, I hope I'm an old person who's, you know, more than 50% water, <laughs> which is what and most like, of them are. <laughs> yeah, well, and the conditioning we do for ourselves as we get older and we fall into those traps, right? Probably a lot of people are drinking alcohol too. Like one, Dehydrates two, two, you. yeah, you know, and then we reach for another cup of coffee because we have a little energy and we think the caffeine is going to get us going. But in all reality, we're doing a disservice, right? So we're dehydrating ourselves. We're not sleeping enough. We're not getting quality vegetables, which have a lot of water in them too. And that another thing is we're not getting in. It's just not, not a recipe for success. Yeah, well, so, so aging becomes this drying out process, essentially. I mean, you can literally see it, right? Like oh, you're drying you out, you're losing flexibility, you become rigid, you become brittle, and you literally can break. Yeah, I feel it when I train people. Like I can just, like I'm getting to this point in my career where I work with somebody and well, I can just feel, hey, you're not getting enough water. This is not just a movement thing right? You're not getting enough sleep. I can sense it. You're getting too much of, you know, external crap that's not doing you a service. Let's break that down. Tell me a little bit about what, you know, like, what, what are you, yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing day to day? Like, how does this break down? And another thing I'm learning is the whole communication piece, breaking that down in a digestible format. So you're not attacking somebody's ego. You're not being like, hey, you're probably doing this too much. Stop it. Because then defense mechanism pops yeah. up. Yeah. Well, and I have a question for you about that. Because, yeah. like, we're both on our own journeys and we're both relatively healthy. But we both came from places where we weren't always this way. So, like, because you weren't always that person who knew to drink water. or Like, no, how, did that, how did that start for you? How did you begin to know to do this stuff? Sure. Like I, you saw that picture I posted from 2016 when I was. Yeah. That made me want to ask the question. Yeah. 216 pounds, 217 pounds. I was like, I was getting heavier and heavier. And like, I had really no structure eating. And, mm. um, you know, I, I was playing college football and I was known as like the jacked kicker, the big, 
the big kicker, the big, you know? The big kicker. Yeah, <laughs> like, because you, usually kickers get this reputation for being, like, scrawny and all that. And I, I wanted to, you know, not be that kicker. I wanted to be yeah. bigger than the fucking, you know, linebackers and stuff. So, like, I would just eat like an asshole and lift heavy weights and try to do my best kicking. And I'd always have hip issues. And I don't know, like, I wasn't performing optimally. And then when football was over in college and I got into the workforce and I was working on the south side of Chicago, uh, I, have, I was in a stressful work environment all the time. And I'm mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure life out and trying to figure out ways of eating. And if I'm preaching this message of health and wellness and movement, then, you know, how can I understand that better? It's not only preach a better lesson, but also follow what I'm preaching. So believe it or not, as I was teaching PE and health, like the, the more I taught, the more I forced myself to learn information. Oh. I had to be, I had to be a master at what I was teaching. Right. So, um, I'm around it all the time. I'm engulfing my brain in this information. So naturally I reach out to other, not reach out to people, but like I look for other information. So podcasts, books and all this kind of stuff. So when I started embarking on Joe Rogan, that was like, a turning point because the first episode of Joe Rogan I got was with Mark Sisson and Mark Sisson and you Love know, that. yeah. So like Mark Sisson was the first person that made me understand you can tap into your fat stores. Like you can utilize that as your primary source of energy. And I was like, interesting. Okay. Well, why, why do we not use that regularly? Well, if you keep eating fast digesting carbohydrates, you first tap into that as your main source of energy. You keep doing that over and over and over again. You never get to your fat stores, right? You just utilize that quick burning energy as you, and like, I also went to the extreme where I was like, well, I don't want to use any carbs at all because I want to keep tapping into my fat stores. But after a little while of doing that, like you can start to balance it up and put better quality carbohydrates in that are slower releasing that you can use and tap into when you need to, but switch back and forth. Yeah. That and, and, and metabolic that. flexibility. Yeah. Metabolic flexibility. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, just from there, 2016, like I started doing that. I lost so much weight in the beginning. Yeah. How much? I was curious. I, so how much did you yeah. lose? So I went from 20, 217 pounds in January and then I got really sick. So like I got keto flu, mm. what they call it. And, yeah. uh, I had three days of just like straight vomiting and just the chills and losing all this water and three days I missed work. It was bad. I, got, I remember waking up one morning. It was January, 2017 when I really started was it January. Yeah. January, 2017 when I started to like really get deep into this. And I remember waking up vomiting. I'm like, I have to go to work. Danielle's like, stay no. home, idiot. What are you doing? Stay home. I'm like, no, I have to go to work. So I vomited twice before I went to work, got to work first period. It's my health class. I had my TA in there. I'm like, Hey, can you just look over? I need to use the bathroom real fast. I didn't even make it to the, to the bathroom. And I was <laughs> oh, no. on the ground and I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. So after three days of being sick, um, I went from two seventeen to like two Oh six and stayed there. Isn't that crazy? Like, how I'm sorry, much- did you, you called it keto flu. So like carb flu as in you went keto and you just felt super sick for three days. Yeah. Like I just, wow. Yeah. I've never heard of vomiting. I mean, I've definitely heard like, you just feel like garbage, but wow. Vomiting. And like, I couldn't hold things down up both ends. It was not very good. Not to get too graphic, but yeah, I went from 217 to like 206, 207 and stayed there. I never went back to over 210 after that again, ever. Wow. So like, you know, your body retains all this extra water. Yes. You know, when you're constantly putting in shitty quality foods, it's just the way it is. Yep. You just Inflammation. Retain, yeah. You retain water in, infl- that, that, that's what it is when you say you're inflamed. It's basically just water retention, right? So I lost all that. And then I started understanding, oh, wow, wow. I, I feel much better with this, mm. this new way of eating. But I wasn't doing intermittent fasting because when I got to intermittent fasting, that's when shit started to really work. Mm. And uh, I put all my calories into a specific feeding window. I stayed consistent on that. No, no sugar at all. Just, you know, just vegetables, dark, dark leafy greens, meats, and then, you know, fats, just cheese, creams, MCT oil, stuff like that. <laughs> True. Ke- yeah. Keto. Yeah. True keto. And then, you know, I got to this point where I was just like, I want to have carbs again. So then I started carb cycling 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no holds barred. I just ate whatever I needed to eat. And then Monday, I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I was really strict on it. And I maintained and stayed like 195 to 198 pounds regularly. You know, I start seeing abs and, you know, just feeling. So what is that? Is that like 2018? Like, is that, or that within a year of starting? Yeah, I would say like, I would say January 2017 to like, uh, I got married, uh, in June, July. So like, I guess when I got married, I was at the 200 mark. So I went from 217 to 200 in six months, which was good, but just not, not, not just the weight, but like, yeah, your body composition changes too completely. Yeah. Body composition was, was, was much tighter, but I was also like way more like focused. I, I just felt this need for wanting more knowledge. Like I just was hungry for information. And that's like where it really kicked off. Like I, 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 I used to listen to sports radio every day after after work, and I completely cut sports radio. I was like, "What am I feeding my brain? Like it's stupid. like who's better, LeBron or Jordan? Like we can talk until we're blue in the face about this stuff." And I just started realizing I don't care about this information. All I care about is understanding how the brain and body works to a T. So I just engulfed yeah. myself in this information the last three years, and uh, you know. Now it's 2019. Where are we at? I mean, obviously in the eternal now, it's everything connected. Duh. Here. <laughs> but, so but, that's a that's your origin story. I mean, I'm sure you've shared that, but um, it's just interesting to go through. And we're really similar. We've talked about it before with Mark Sisson. Yeah, he was my like. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know any of this without Mark Sisson. But yeah. my story started a while ago in like 2011 finish 2010 2011 um so you know i have two kids they're six and eight i'm 36 now but i just had i had horrible hormonal problems in my 20s because mm-hmm. i've been a vegetarian for 15 years oh shit yeah and i didn't and i started being a vegetarian in middle school because you know animal welfare and i had no regard for nutrient quality because i was 13 sure and i it was like a pizza and french fries vegetarian the cheese cheese pizza and french fries vegetarian for a lot of that, and I would eat vegetables, but not primarily because the, I was still hungry. So I got, I needed the carbohydrates because I wasn't getting adequate fat or protein. So that screwed me up hormonally, which I didn't know until after I got married. And then we're like, we don't know if we want to have kids right now, but you know, most women, you're on the pill forever. You have no idea what's going on with you. So you go off the pill and then for we me- have to, We have to go back to that. I want yeah. to talk about birth control mm-hmm. after your story because Danielle and I got into a conversation about this. And yeah, I, I, anyway, just go, go back to your story. Yeah, but so you're, you know, you're on the pill and for those who don't know, the pill- it makes you think you're pregnant. So it's basically adding, I think it's progesterone. So your natural ebbs and flows of your hormones and your cycles don't happen, but you think they are because, you know, you're putting this thing in, you take it out, whatever. But I stopped and I just had like, I had no cycle to speak of. I just was hormonally totally jacked up. And I went to my doctor and she'd be like, well, we can give you meds. And if you want to have kids, you're going to need help. And I'm like, well, I don't even know if I want to have kids right now, but why don't we care that my body's not working properly. Like nobody really cared. Um, I mean, cause that's how no one really cares about you except for yourself. But I ended up going to a reproductive endocrinologist to get like the full blood work done. And it was very clear. Everything was super off. Like my like testosterone was too high. My estrogen was too low. And I mean, and I look normal. Like I don't look like anything's wrong with me. I then, um, I went to a, I started getting acupuncture to try and help because my sister-in-law had gone to an acupuncturist and that woman also was a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. And she was like, you need to go low carb. And she starts telling me all these things to avoid. When you were, when you were, when your hormones were out of whack, I'm sorry to stop you there. Did you have a problem, uh, dropping body fat or did you? No, not really. But in retrospect, I probably gained five or 10 pounds when I went off the pill, but I was also a junior associate at a law firm. I didn't, I mean, I, at the time I didn't put two and two together that there was, yeah, there's definitely some stuff going on there, but, um, and I also just started, I mean, it's so, I feel so foolish looking back because I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like, maybe I don't drink enough water. Maybe my room's not dark enough at night. Maybe I need to like have this special supplement that'll help. Not once did I consider it was what I was eating. Like never, not a one time did I think it was my nutrition that was directly impacting me until I go to this woman. She mentioned some stuff. So I try to be low carb as a vegetarian, which I mean, some people do it, but good luck with that. Um, 
I did keep working with the reproductive endocrinologist and was like, okay, well, let's see, you know, is my body able to, you know, to even ovulate? Like, can this work? And I, I ended up getting pregnant with my first, first kid while I was still a vegetarian, uh, went through that pregnancy as a vegetarian, you know, he's fine. So I guess it was fine, but it was after having him that I ran across the primal diet and Mark Sisson. And it was the first person who talked about in his book at the interrelationship between insulin and female hormones, mm. particularly estrogen. And mm. so I read it and I was like, I have to start eating meat again. I have to follow this whole primal diet thing. And sure enough, after however many months, and that time's a blur because I have like an infinite home, who knows? I don't, and maybe my, maybe my kid was like six or eight months. I don't, I don't know, but somewhere in there, I decided to start eating meat again. So give it enough time and my body totally regulated itself. Interesting. Did, uh, did, did the quality of the meat impact? Did you uh, at, at that, at that point, that was not on my radar at all because for me, just eating meat again, I mean, and I, I mean, I've learned so much over the past nine, 10 years, but um, I started with chicken and pork. I didn't eat beef for probably that first year or two because I was easing myself back in. Yeah. Although people ask me, so how was it the first time you ate meat after not eating it for 15 years? I was like, it was fine. It was great. My body was like, yep, we know exactly what this is. Thank you. <laughs> I know where how did you feel? How did you feel energy wise and cognitive energy wise? Honestly, I don't know if I noticed a big difference, but it was such a hectic time because I had a newborn at home. Sure. So I was all over the place. Like yeah. I was nursing. Like I had. I. I don't know. I just. I barely remember that time period. But it became very clear that my lifestyle choices were what had done this. To me. And I don't say that to say you can't be a healthy vegetarian. I, I think you can, but I was not intentional enough to make sure that I was getting complete protein, that I was getting what I needed. And it's much easier for me to do that while eating meat. But um, so that changed everything. And then by the time it came time to have, wanted to have a second kid, I was completely like everything was totally normal. I went back to the reproductive endocrinologist, got my blood work done. Everything was normal. And she was like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I, I changed how I ate, blah, blah. And you can tell she was kind of like, that's cute. Like, <laughs> I've heard anecdotally that might work. I mean, it's not something I would dare tell a patient when I have this medication I could give them to help them ovulate. Oh, or help them. So fucked up to me. Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was kind of like, oh, that's nice for you. And then there's inside. And the thing is, I mean, she's doing the best she can with the information she has. But inside, I was just like, it's so funny how you can chalk that up to like, well, that's an anomaly. Great for you. But. I mean, I was really bitter for a while that there was no medical doctor who could tell me how to restore my own health. I had to do that myself. Well, they, they don't go through a ton. I mean, this is just. Oh, oh I know. There's like no nutrition training. No nutrition not, at all. Yeah. And there's no holistic approach to the body. Everything is segmented. So if you have a bowel problem, go to that doctor. If you have a heart problem, go to that doctor. There's no one person who's like trying to put it all together. Yeah. And as we evolve and grow and understand, like people are becoming quote unquote woke to this, Yeah, you know, we're going to find other avenues to better ourselves, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm very interested to see like where healthcare goes, especially when we got like these special doctors that will collaborate yes. with like, you know, gyms and, you know, massage therapists and, you know, acupuncturists and all, all sorts of nutritionists, all sorts of ways to kind of like infuse all these things together i wonder if there will be a one-stop shop for all that and maybe I hope so you know and then you know when it comes to therapy as well like as as mdma and psilocybin become a little bit more mainstream people are understanding the effects if it doesn't go backwards again then how will that start yeah. to make its way into all this to better well, people you can't well, you can't help but think that just the cost is going to force us to because our, um, and not, well, I think it's in there actually, the, the mental health, but our disease management approach. And we've, I'm sure you've talked about this before, but like if I'm hit by a car, if I have a gunshot, take me to a hospital. Sure. Right? We are really, really good with that. And that is amazing and it saves lives. But if I have a chronic disease, like if I, I mean, maybe it's controversial to say, but like if I have type 2 diabetes, I'm not actually better off working with a traditional doctor right now because what they'll do is give things to manage the symptoms while actually making it worse, right? Well, like, let's just up your insulin over the next 10 years until you have all sorts of side effects from diabetes, and then we may even need to amputate a limb. There's not anyone who's going to, not, I'm going to say not anyone, but many conventional doctors are not going to say, 
what if you change the way you eat so that you don't have such a strong insulin response? It's the equivalent, I guess, of if someone's losing their hearing to just scream louder in their ear. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Doing, I like yeah, that analogy. It's not mine. It's Jason, Jason Fung, who's the man when it comes to all of this and fasting. He's a, he's a nephrologist, but we, we just have these really perverse ways of managing things and you don't know it because society teaches you like, this is a doctor. I should trust everything they're saying. Just like I should have never looked farther into my own health. What I should have done was trusted my OB and trusted the reproductive endocrinologist and just like kept taking the pills they told me to take and just, you know, dealt with it. And prob- I'd probably be diabetic now, frankly, had I not. <laughs> like, my, like I have a grandfather who was um, diabetic at 32. Wow. And at least from what I've learned for a lot of women who had what I have, which I think is often called PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, there's a relationship with insulin response. And so when you add in like 15, 20 years to that, a lot of those women can go on to be, to be diabetic. So, Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, man, that's, that's so wild. And you just, you know, going through this journey, you just realize people are people and they're going through their own journey. And I don't care if they have the, the, you know, the title of doctor, like, yeah, they, yeah. they went through a whole bunch of school. Yeah. I mean, well, that's basically it. They went through school. And the other thing is it kind of comes full circle with your question about the morning routine. Uh, you have to accept that nobody cares about you more than you do. So if your hope is that in your 15 to 20 minute session with, a, with whomever, this doctor, that could be meeting 10, 12, 16 patients a day, that they're somehow going to unravel your health, particularly when it's like a chronic, more disease focused sort of thing versus a, oh, well, no, you, you broke your arm, let me reset it. They're not necessarily going to dig into it any more than you would be able to. And you really, really have to be your own advocate nowadays and looking to someone else to have like the magic cure. Uh, and I hope that doesn't sound crass, but it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work a lot of the time. It's the truth. I learned that, I learned the whole nobody cares from a movie called The a Bronx Tale. Have you heard of it? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I've seen it, but I have heard of it. He goes, no, he's like, there, he's like there's two things that are really valuable in that movie. The first one is uh, nobody cares, you know, nobody cares, see, nobody cares. And then the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. Those are the two mm-hmm. like main messages in the movie. But really like nobody cares about yeah. your, your health unless you really take a dive deep into like what's happening inside and yes. you can take proper precautions around it so that you can feel, you know, optimal mentally and physically, hormonally, emotionally, spiritually, all that stuff so that you can kind of, and what we're learning now is give off that energy so that the right people come into your life yes. who do well, care. And some right? people might think that's really pessimistic or sad to because nobody cares, but I actually think it's really empowering when you realize that, that yeah. no, nobody cares about you more than you do. Yeah. Um, nobody's coming to save you. And sure, you know, people along the way, will, you know, help you out. But at the end of the day, it's all up to you. Like, that's why I'm up so early because of course I enjoy taking care of myself, but nobody's going to do this for me. No one's going to stop my life to be like, Hey Alexis, did you sleep enough last night? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, right. Nobody no, cares. Sure. <laughs> Definitely. And that's practicing that agency, right? Like you have to want to go ahead and do those types of things and then make it your new programming. It yes. takes time to recondition yourself, unprogram the shit that you were doing and, mm-hmm. and keep going in this new direction. That takes a lot of time. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that when it comes to writing now, but mm. I'm much better than I was, you know, at the beginning of the summer. And I, I do it a lot more, not as much as I, I'd like to, but, you know, I'm getting there. I'm reconditioning and it takes right. time. So you're, you're changing your default programming. It's habit change. And habit change at the end of the day is like, it's identity change because yeah. maybe you don't think of yourself as I'm a writer, but give it enough time and do enough things and you'll be like, I'm a, I am a writer. I as write. So a writer. Says, you will start to recondition your yeah. personality so that you can change your personal reality. Mm-hmm. I think it's something along those lines. Anyway, let's go back to this birth control thing. Cause I yeah. need to be, I need to be educated more on this. If you don't mind me asking, how long were you on birth control? And after you got off of it, like, were there any major issues? So we answered the major issues part. Yes. Um, I think I went on around 15 or 16 because for most or not most, for many women, you know, you'll get your, your period, I don't know, say between the ages like 12 and 15. And for a lot of women, that is not a regular cycle. 
and we're told that you are supposed to have a cycle every you know 28 days and when it's not regular at some point you go to a doctor and be like hey my cycle is irregular um, and maybe it's because you care about your cycle being irregular or maybe it's because you're like this is a great way to get birth control <laughs> but they'll put you on it to, to regulate your cycle and what's been interesting for me is only over the past few years have I started learning more about women's health. And I will say the one thing about me being so sort of bro-y and what I listen to is that, you know, I have to go to other resources to learn this information, but it can take a woman three to four years for her cycle to regulate. Wow. So to give birth control so early to fix an irregular cycle is actually like really inappropriate and not something we should be doing, but we do it. So many women in the United States, you'll go on the pill sometime in your teenage years and you'll stay on it until you want to have kids. I got married pretty early. So I was probably 25, 26 when I went off. Not to say you have to have a kid just because you got married, but it was something that was an earlier thing in my life. So I was probably on the pill for about 10 years, but you get a lot of women who are on the pill for you know, 15, 20 plus years before they consider having children. But what the pill does is it suppresses ovulation um, by adding uh, progesterone to your system. And then you stop. So it does that for, it's usually a 28 day cycle. So three weeks you're getting progesterone for a week. You are not, you'll have basically like a bleed, which you consider to be your period. Um, and that isn't necessarily like a, a real period in the traditional sense because it didn't happen from like the rise and fall of natural right. hormones. Right. But then a lot of women will also go on birth control for if they have severe cramps um, to, you know, if they can help with skin, having clearer skin. So there's a whole lot of reasons that uh, birth control gets prescribed to women other than just contraception. Has there any, has there been any sort of reports of people that have been on birth control for 15 years and having trouble conceiving? Is that a common thing or not? So I don't know. And I wouldn't begin to guess because at the, you know, at the end of the day, like I went to law school, I'm not actually an expert in any of this. So a lot of this is anecdotal and what I've, what I've heard, but um, some women go off and it's fine. Like they're super fertile you know, they start ovulating right away and it's fine. So I definitely wouldn't want to say that, you know, universally it does whatever. But I think for women who already have some underlying condition of any kind, it can mask that so that you don't know. So Mm -hmm. I know for me, it made me think I had a regular cycle because, you know, I was having that, you know, period induced by progesterone withdrawal, essentially. Um, so, so I think for a lot of women, other than just seeing their cycle as something that, oh, it's something I have to deal with and I don't want to get pregnant, but it can be a really good, good indicator of your health. And so if you have a regular cycle and you kind of know the, the, the times when ovulation happens, to me, I use it now to know just how I'm doing and you know my, the level of my health. And I don't think a lot of women see it that way. So to me, it's pretty empowering to not have it masked. And um, like, I will never go back on hormonal contraception for the rest of my life because of that. Uh, I don't say that to at all knock because it's, it's super, super important just when it comes to, you know, personal autonomy and all sorts right. of things. And it, ha- and it is used to, di- to treat, um, you know, actual medical conditions. But I do think that we as women are not taught what we can learn from it. And we're not taught how to learn the signs of fertility so that, there are many women who will, you can take your temperature to find out, you know, what your cycle's doing when, when you ovulate. And it can, that can be really useful information for when you do want to have a kid. And it can also be very useful to avoid pregnancy as well as just to know what your body's doing and when. Interesting. Wow. Do you think that being on some sort of hormonal contraception will have an effect on you tapping into the greater consciousness? Wow. So I have no idea, but in a more um, concrete or I guess immediate thing, some of the studies have shown is that it does, it changes who women are attracted to. Interesting. So, and I won't begin to unpack the studies about this, but you know, it's changing your body's chemistry and as humans, like there's smells and there's hormones and they're like, it can actually change the, the type of human you're attracted to. So there could be a phenomenon where you're like on the pill, I liked him off the pill. I don't like him as much, <laughs> but, um, but I think to the broader question, to the extent it get you're not as in touch with your body. And I say this with a little bit of trepidation because I don't want anybody saying like, Oh, this stupid girl said that, you know, birth control right. makes you not feel what's going on in your body. And basically but, everything's on an individual level. Too. Absolutely. But it does, it does 
change your body's chemistry. It does change your natural cycles. So I think there, you know, there could be for some people where they do not feel as in touch with themselves when they are on birth control. And I know women who would vehemently be like, fuck, yeah, I didn't feel like myself. And you, and you will hear because there's, you know, birth control is not the only contraception. There's other kinds of women who, for instance, will get a, um, like an IUD Mm-hmm. And that will, some of those have hormonal contraception or have hormones in them and they will get that taken out because after two or three months, they're like, I felt crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt absolutely insane because of what was being introduced to my body. Yeah. See like foreign, foreign objects, you know, we've, we've evolved this far without them. Yeah. Although <laughs> I will say some women are really, there's a copper IUD. Um, I have not had it, but some women are very happy with that. Um, the IUD freaks me out because it can migrate. Like it can like float around and yeah. it'll like leave the uterus, which is a little like, yeah. Um, and I'm done having children. So not that my husband would appreciate this, but like the vasectomy had to happen. So <laughs> that's done. Right. But um, I, I do think the core issue though, is that as women, we are not taught how our body works and therefore we are not necessarily taught how to monitor our own health through all the signals that we could actually have. And a lot of times you're not even trying to figure out how you work until you're in your thirties and you're trying to have a kid. See, and this is, I guess, where, not that I have any issues with birth control. I just, as a, as a man trying to broaden my sense of masculinity and trying to make that cool for other men to understand, like we have to ask these questions, especially when we're in in relationships where there's where you know sex is a major thing right it's part it's part of a relationship that that evolves like how does that like how do these these types of hormonal contraceptives uh impact our optimization you know what i'm saying well and not just the the contraceptive part but women in general our bodies are very different from men and so you, you're going to, you know, you, you lose weight differently than a man. You have hormonal fluctuations that are different from a man. So the way that you even train or the way that you eat, you cannot just treat yourself like a small man. That's not what you are. (laughs) And so for women, it can be difficult because we will do what men do. And it's not to say that we can't, you know, I'm all for equality, but given just like the way your body fluctuates. So for example, like our temperature varies due to the presence of progesterone and estrogen by about a degree within the month. So we can essentially sort of run hotter, run colder. And there's a certain time in the month where it might be better to have that harder workout versus other times in the month. And some of the experts I've heard talk about it can say a woman has four different bodies each month. So I think it's useful for men. You know, if they can learn about the female body, it's also for women to learn about their body. But unfortunately, a lot of the research that's done on, on well-being is on men. And they just extrapolate it and they're like, well, guess it works for women too. And then we do it and it, and mm. it doesn't. Yeah. See, like this is good information to, to unfold, unpack, talk a little bit about because, you know, I'm not yeah. super um, knowledgeable in this area and I don't ever want to have something, uh, you know, I don't want to ever have a super strong opinion on something that I'm not super yep. knowledgeable about. So just making it cool to ask questions and, you know, kind of broaden the spectrum of information and knowledge yeah. because, you know, Absolutely. it could, well, it could come up. Well, and I realized the same thing. So I had to, I navigated a lot of this just because I have kids, but even recently I've been trying to learn a lot more about the female body because like, as, as you know, like a lot of the health and wellness things I consume are by, from men. And I don't think any of them are intentionally trying to mislead me, but I also know that they don't necessarily make it their job to go see like, how is this different for women? So for instance, like intermittent fasting, may not be as great for women, right? And a a lot of women do it and it's fine. And particularly if you have major fat loss goals, it can be something that can be very powerful. But there are some things that indicate that our bodies, you know, may not do as well with intermittent fasting. Right. But don't take my word for it, anybody listening. Like go (laughs) go do some research. But, you know, there's some some things out there. Hey, can you give me one second? My dogs are howling. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Can you hear them? A little bit, yeah. Listen to them. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Give me, give me one second. I'm so sorry. So what was going on? What were the dogs doing? They see shit outside. And oh, and they go after it. Yeah, well, then one starts barking, and the other one gets all wild up, and they start howling together. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. They just go, ar, 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 ar. That's funny. 
I'm glad my, my dog's too old to care about any of this. Man, <laughs> my, my dogs are super young. They're four and two, and I love them to death. They're, they're great. They have the best personalities. They're super energetic. Um, but it's just not the best thing when I'm trying to podcast in yeah. my, in my home right. studio. <laughs> they don't know. They don't get it. You're like, I'm podcasting, guys. Chill it. out. <laughs> and now I got to go back and edit, but it's all right. Whatever. Okay. Now, let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about some, see like what, what I like about you and why I love how this friendship has been blossoming is that you are constantly throwing good information at me and vice versa, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book. And just in the last three months, and we talked about it in our last, our last podcast, which I got a bunch of good reviews about, by the way, um, you just throw all this good information out and it forces me to think and change. And it's, it's, it's pushed me to grow a lot in this last three months. So I appreciate you for that. What are some of the, what are some of the podcasts that you listened to recently that have made you, uh, I don't know, spark a little bit, ask different questions. What's some of the information that you've unbarked on recently that's making you go a little Let's like, wow. see. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Happy Absolutely. I can help your journey. You're helping yeah. mine. Um, well, one that I listen to, and not not consistently, but Christine Hassler over and on with it. She actually had a women's health um, expert on who made me think about a lot of the stuff we just, well, think further about a lot of the stuff we just talked about. And she also marries Ayurvedic um tradition with that so indian um like health and wellness philosophy okay. which is which is fantastic um more holistic approach right much more holistic approach much more like eastern yeah. philosophy yeah. cycles of the body honoring those supporting those back to the whole knowing when you're kind of running hot when you're running cold if you're like if you're just and supporting that um and yeah i ran into a number of things about about ayurveda recently what's that the so it is basically the indian system of health and wellness i'd, I'd say medicine but it's not it's about maintaining health I, I don't think it's right to call it call it just medicine um but heard a couple of those experts on one was on shaman durek's podcast recently and i really enjoy him <laughs> like welcome to the shaman durek like yes like uh, yeah, i just he's, he's, he's animated when i heard him on yes when i heard him on skinny confidential he was way more like um he was way more real like uh a, yeah you know talked about himself as being Derek, really and then yes. when he does his own podcast it's like welcome you guys are all alike here in present moment in yes you know, very but, here's, but that's the thing and so for anyone who's not not heard of him oh god i can't remember what this podcast is called um but i'm sure if you look up shaman Derek d-u-r-e-k you'll find it he, he can be like way 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 super out there and you might be like what in the hell are alexis and danny talking about <laughs> but one when he's out there he's still right like his delivery may be a little bit more like amped than some but i i think he's generally correct and then I he see. also can get into the weeds of how to take care of yourself so he has that full you know and taking care of yourself physically spiritually mentally i don't know so that um dr peter atia Love has been make, making the rounds lately so i've heard him on a couple of different po oh, so he was on kyle kingsbury's podcast yep. he was on um dan harris his 10 percent happier podcast which mm -hmm. i don't listen to that one consistently but when i pick it up i like it and um I don't know what to say about Peter Atia because he's a, he's amazing, right? So yeah, I, yeah. I will I will never knock him. But it wasn't until his recent interviews that I realized how just intense of a human he is. He is, and that he has really used um, meditation to help blunt that intensity to some extent. Sure. So I think he said he's like, say I was a ten out of ten on the psychopath scale, like I'm probably down to like a four or five. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to meditation, oh. but I've really enjoyed hearing um, him talk about about mindfulness meditation. And as someone who is more of like a transcendental or Vedic meditation, he's been talking recently about why he switched to mindfulness meditation. It's interesting. Um, and then also when he talks about longevity, super super interesting. Yes. Um, I think for me personally, I am much more focused on lower impact, long-term movement. I'm not somebody, and it can be really weird for people because they're like, Alexis, you're like a health nut. What do you mean you don't want to go run a 5K with me? And I'm like, no, you couldn't pay me. Like, I 
I won't. I'm with you. I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, and I don't, once again, if people are into that, please keep doing it. But for me, that doesn't appeal to me, but his philosophy only further reinforces some of that because he's just like, I don't understand people who do triathlons. Now, mind well, you, he's, he's done like, what were you no, going to no, say? No, I was going to oh. say like, let, what we go back to him and that he, basically his philosophy comes from having done all that strenuous. Yes, thing. yes, exactly. And so what he'll say, he's like, now I conceive of like the central. Korean Olympics. Like if I was 100, what are the things that I want to be able to do? I want to be able to go up stairs. I want to be able to go into a deep squat. I want to. And so he's just like, I now focus on training. And I still think he trains rather, relatively intensely compared to most people. But I focus on things that I'm going to like be able to accomplish my goals, you know, 40, 50, 60 years from now. And I just, I love, love, love that mindset because it's a long-term mindset. And so many people are just like, okay, couch to 5k this month, did it. And then I won't do anything again for five years. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm around a lot of high school kids. I'm a lot of te- around a lot of teachers and trainers and the mindset of go, go, go really heavy yes. approach is still ingrained. And it's again, like conditioning ourselves to understand what fitness is. Right. And it's nobody's fault, but we, now that we, we, you know, our, our journey specifically as we gotten older and the, the longevity piece is more of a factor, we can kind of understand that going heavy, super fast yeah. all, the time all the time is just is a negative on the nervous system and it goes in the opposite direction of longevity. Yes, yeah. like we have these egotistical wants and drives to accomplish a certain thing and we try to achieve PRs and, and whatever, but long term, you know, as we get into our 30s and 40s, is it the, the most optimal approach for everything that we want to accomplish yes. as we get into it later on in our life, right? Well, and going hard all the time, but sporadically for a lot of people. <clears throat> I think there are a lot of people who don't necessarily work out consistently, but when they do, they go really, really hard and they physiologically aren't sound. And so they'll, they'll blow themselves up. Because yeah. a surefire way to really, particularly when you're like structurally not sound, you don't have mobility, you don't, and then just you're you have an, a a foundation that isn't strong, and then you push on it really really hard, and that's how you get injured. But nobody wants to be the person going to the gym who's like, I'm just going to work on the form of my squat for the next three months. Yeah. <laughs> I'll barely have weight on the bar just yeah. to make sure I don't hurt myself. No, your goal is to be like, can I squat fifty more pounds by next week? Yeah. That tends to be the mindset people have. Um, yeah. Well, also a lot of times people want it. They, they, they are attached to this outcome where they want yes. the biggest body possible. So the only way that they could achieve that is by going hard all the time in their mind. Yes. Right. Yes. When there's, there's check marks that need to be checked in order for everything to come together. The nutrition, the sleep, the reflection, the meditation, the movement, you know, the uh, interaction between people call that crazy, but that will aid your wellness. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're constantly a negative Nancy, it may not be the best for your quote unquote gains. Yes. Oh, I wanted to add a part to my morning routine. So every morning I also do 10 push-ups. just like I try to gym kind of slow. I do it after I meditate, but with the whole long-term view, there's part of me that's like, if I just did 10 push-ups for every day for the rest of my life, <laughs> I have a feeling that I would end up okay. In terms of, because versus the like, I'm going to work out really hard, you know, for three months at 36 and then not do it again until I'm 38. And then I'll run sometimes at, like, what if I just had something I very consistently did for the next 50 years? I like that. And I, and I, but I think that's the sort of thing. I think pe- some people are better off, um, you know, that, that small but incremental but consistent approach. I did one push-up a day for 10 years. Each year I added one more push-up. Now I'm 80 and I can do, I don't know, 60, like whatever it is. Yeah. I, so I think that is really helpful. But um, in terms of other people I listen to, I've been, you know, listen to Paul Check's podcast. And the most recent one I listened to is where he talked to the um, head of health and wellness at LinkedIn. Yeah. What was his yeah. name? It was. I, uh, I don't remember at all. Susie, Michael Susie. Yeah. So that, that was really interesting and loved hearing with somebody with that sort of viewpoint working in a corporate environment. But um, yeah. just now when we were talking about how people go so hard, <clears throat> it made me think of some stuff I've heard Paul Check talk about, which is like, do not add, um, oh, what's the exact the precise term? But when you do something harder, faster, and you're adding, trying to add 
power and speed behind something, if you don't have the structural capabilities to start with, you're going to blow yourself up. And like, I can't, and most of us are structurally jacked up. Like just because we sit all day, we don't move. And then that's why when you hit 30, 40, 50, you're like, I'm going to go do this. And then you're like, oh, tore my, like hurt my shoulder, hurt my ankle because you structurally weren't sound to begin with. Right. Right. And that's, we don't think about that. (laughs) Well, You see that in a lot of ways, that's what you're helping people rehab when you're training them. You're like, wow, your mobility is really limited. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like it's, I've learned so much when it comes to, you know, just like I said, checking the boxes, everything putting together when it comes to workout programming, when it comes to training people, when it comes to just looking at somebody's posture, seeing how they move, like all those different patterns. And I put them together and I've learned that more and more. But I will tell you something that I want to expand my knowledge on as I go in further into this career is shamanism mm. or I don't know, like, is there another word that's not as... I know. That has a lot of baggage to it, right? Yeah, it does. Like, just understanding someone's energy and understanding their, their, I guess, their body, just reading, reading their body positioning and, like, how does that, like, affect... How do I use those, that information to form some sort of program and approach their mental states or things that are bothering them or entangled through them. You know what I'm saying? Like how Shaman Derek takes somebody's hand and it's like, well, X, Y, and Z is bothering you. And this is why, you know, this is why you have these issues. You know, again, also figuring out a way to explain that in such a way that's like um, not so ego damaging, you know? Yeah. Well, or that just gets rejected as sounding crazy. Yeah. Or like, how do I, how do I, yeah, exactly. That, that they're like, okay, crazy. Yeah. Like, what are, what are your credentials for you to being, for being this person who's telling me this information? Like I right. want to be known as somebody who understands the ins and outs of all this informational baggage, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and take that information and put together a wellness program that's going to optimize them physically, mentally, cognitively, emotionally, spiritually, all that jazz, you know? Yeah, no. And it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to learn. I do feel like, um, and you know, just hearing you talk to Kristen, Paul check and the check it system and the check Institute is, and not to say that I've taken a deep dive, deep dive into all the options probably has the best platform for, addressing as much of what you've just said, but I'm sure there's other things as well. And, but so much of it, it's this mix of experience, but there also is learning you can do, but there's also people who are super intuitive, particularly with the spiritual side. Yeah. But you, Um, you could unlock like from, from reading Joe Dispenza, like you unlock your intuition mm -hmm. a little bit more, the more that you like alleviate some of that baggage that's been blocked up in the lower three energy center. So like, you understand that a little bit more to a T and with just little manipulations to like your own personal life, you could understand like, wow, I've just released a little bit more energy. But then again, how much of that is placebo, but it doesn't matter as long as we can come to realizations and, and grow a little bit. That's what the whole purpose yeah. is. Well, and I was just thinking about what you were saying. And so let's, if we take it out of almost like the mystical or the magical realm, which I think to some people, it's like, this just sounds crazy. Is yeah. this magic? Are you a yeah. wizard? Like, what are yeah. you talking about? But just the notion that as you do your own work, um, physically and emotionally, whatever those two things encompass, that the more I address all the stuff I carry, all the preconceived notions, all the programming that I have, I become able to more clearly see you for who you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if we go into the more mis- like the metaphysical realm, there's some, I mean, I'd say scientific stuff happening. There's some things that people would say are unexplained. There's energetic stuff. But at the end of the day, as you do the work on you, it allows you to help other people because you're not carrying your baggage and just projecting it onto them. You're able to see them more clearly. Definitely. Which definitely which is the core of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And you know, there's more and more scientific data that's coming out. Yeah. Right? Little by little, this stuff may it may not be mainstream, but people like numbers, people like data, and you know, Joe Dispenza gives that information out. And then we talk about the other dude that you showed me the other day, Robert yeah. Yeah. and biocentrism. 
and how all this stuff is starting to tie together. Yes. Right? Oh, God. So I just ordered his book, his 2016 book, but um, I guess for anyone listening, so Robert Lanza, I sent Danny a talk from 2010, where he outlines this idea called biocentrism, which I'm now going to proceed to mess up, but he basically says our whole, like the scientific theory of everything that is generally that, you know, physics essentially created life. You know, there was a big bang and then particles did this and you add billions of years and humans pop up. That's just kind of how we view the universe, the world, everything. He's just like, that's not, it's not right. Um, And his thesis is basically that biology or living beings are what create the world or consciousness creates the world. And I say this and I think all of us who are like hardcore materialists who have been taught, no, 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 you had single cell things that divided and they turned into things that turned into us. We're just like, no, that can't possibly be right. But as he just, he unpacks all the things that don't make sense in science when you have this, this view and particularly at the quantum quantum physics, which you and I talked about before. Yeah. That he's just like, there's all this weird stuff that happens that we know is true. That is not explained with our current methodology that actually makes sense when you bring consciousness in and he and I'm just gonna keep talking as I make this worse, but he just talks about how you have to include your own consciousness in in the in the whole theory, and anything right. that leaves out consciousness just doesn't work. And it's amazing and interesting. And well, we I, again the double split the double split experiment. Have you ever seen that done? Like on a on a video? I've hey, heard. what's up, Mendez? Hey, what's happening, man? Oh my God, Alex, Alexis, did you did you get Hi. my friend? Uh, uh, Mr. Mendez, your first name is what? I'm sorry. It's Anthony. Anthony. Oh my God. This just turned into a triple podcast. Alexa. <laughs> What's going on, dude? Good, man. How's everything? Great. I'm actually in the middle of another podcast. Uh, Alexis, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, this is great. Do you want to jump in on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm hey, here. If, if it's all good for you with you guys, didn't, don't want to interrupt. So it's up to you guys. No, dude, you listen, uh, Anthony, uh, Alexis is a dear friend of mine, and we're just getting into this. Wow, we're just getting into. You just jumped in at the perfect time. I don't know how. I don't know how deep you like to go with uh, with consciousness and the cosmos. But I was uh, talking about the double split experiment. Have you heard about this? No, tell me about it. Okay, so basically, Alexis was talking about biocentrism and how consciousness is, like your own consciousness, the observer, is the creator of everything in the physical realm. So in the double split uh, experiment, and I'm not going to do it justice, but basically when you shoot electron particles. Subatomic particles. Subatomic particles in like uh, a physical, so there's an actual physical... um, uh, I would you call it like a split that has like two two like uh, lines going through it, and if you shoot the subatomic particles through the line in the in the opposite side, they end up coming out as waves, and they hit on the other side. Wow, I'm totally not doing you to- yeah. So <laughs> I I also Crazy won't do though. it. I also won't do it justice. But basically, many many times they they have some sort of tiny tiny barriers. I don't understand them honestly. There's two holes. They're shooting subatomic particles. And they can go through one of these holes, but depending on if you're observing it or not, the particles will either act like an individual particle or like a wave. Basically, the person watching it changes the behavior of the particle. And if it's a particle, it can go through one little hole, um, one of the two holes. But if it's a wave, it'll go through both. Same particle. And so there's just all this like eerie, weird shit that happens at the quantum level that we can't explain that makes no sense with our current physics or our current view of the, of the universe. And so this guy, we we're talking about Robert Lanza, this, this scientist, and I guess he's um, primarily a biologist, but like he was one of Time's most 100 influential people in 2014. The New York Times is like, this guy's one of the biggest deals ever. He just points out any theory that doesn't account for human consciousness doesn't work. And then he goes on to essentially say that it's consciousness. And he, he doesn't say this, but some level of intelligence that, or biology or living things that have created what we have as the universe. He has all this like fun stuff where he's like, he's like, do you know there's like 200 different things that have to be perfect for us to be here as humans? Like if the Big Bang happened at, 
I don't know, one, one millionth the speed faster, humans wouldn't exist. And I don't know, we're just like, people are going to listen to this and think we're just like, hi, and we're making no, this, this up. This is the best. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. Yes. This is my favorite thing to talk about because at the end, Alexis, way to save me on that because like, <laughs> you went in there and you explained it to a degree a little bit more clear than I would ever. But basically saying that at the end of the day, there's like an intelligent consciousness, a loving, intelligent consciousness that has put all this into being, right? Like call it God. I like calling it the ether or the source. I get a little weird when I when I use the word God just because it's attached to so many different. Yeah. Uh, well, and I don't want to misquote him because he doesn't go he doesn't go far as assigning that his big his thesis is the existence of living things, biology, consciousness had to create the rest. He doesn't go so far as and I but I think for the rest of us we extrapolate and we're like yeah yeah but um, <laughs> it's mind it's mind blowing stuff but the more he talks you're just like yeah. This makes sense. So, <laughs> no, so it's Robert Lanza, L-A-N-Z-A. It's from 20. Look him up. He's written a number of other books. He's also done a whole bunch of research on stem cells. But um, he just lays out a theory of everything that actually works. Yeah, the, it was really interesting. I listened to the whole like 40 minutes, both both uh, videos that you sent me. Part one and two. Part one and two. Yeah, Robert Lanza, Biocentrism. Super awesome. Alexis, do you have extra time? Sure. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. Stick around part two, where I get to talk with Alexis and Anthony Mendez, where we go off on another tangent about optimization and how we can connect people using the internet and so on. A lot of great points made with Anthony Mendez in the next episode. So continue on. The next episode will be with Alexis Robertson and Anthony Mendez. I'm excited to bring you that episode as well. So let's connect on Instagram at Danny Cola Fitness and uh, look out for the next episode, right? Peace.